when we are doing the will of our true self, we are inevitably doing the will of the universe. In magic, these are seen as indistinguishable, that every human soul is in fact one human soul. It is the soul of the universe itself, and as long as you are doing the will of the universe, then it is impossible to do anything wrong. My name is Revel Raz, and this is Prag Magic. In this podcast, we will journey through the investigation and application of metaphysical means to enhance and inspire what I consider to be the great unifying purpose of our short human existence, the creative process. And it's my intention to learn and reveal exercises that ex-hex those inner oppressive thought patterns, as well as exorcising those lurking psychic vampires. Join me as I consort the unseen as means for getting the fuck out of creative stagnation. Stagnation that bewitches each and all of us, artists or not. In this, the 10th episode of the Pragmagic Cast, I am showcasing, well, someone else's interview. Now, there is a method to my madness showcasing somebody else's interview with the late, great Robert Anton Wilson, or Raw, as fans know him. This is because the following dialogue is actually irrefutable proof of the strong tether I've held to the metaphysical community since I was a young. Why? Well, the auditory resemblance between yours truly and the host of the following interview, Tom Ross, should be evidence enough. You see, the year was 1991. I was the ripe age of five, and according to my father, the aforementioned Tom Ross, I was physically there when this interview was filmed. Albeit, I was most likely in the green room, doodling, making a ruckus, or whatever little tykes are wont to do. Yes, the ponytailed, baby-faced, new-age heartbreaker, picking Ra's brain, is the man responsible for half of my genetic code. And I am honored that I have him to blame for the psychical curiosity and weird witching that have become the passions 
that guide me through my reality tunnel, to borrow a raw term. So finally, I'm introducing a piece of personal history into this here 10th installment of my multimedia grimoire, my ever-evolving hypersigil, Pragmagic. The following interview was a segment filmed for my father's public access show, then called Stormwatch. Oh, and I remember the set very clearly. So much so that I remember the banana yellow blouse my father was sporting during the interview. And I suspect that may be why he decided to filter the footage black and white when he archived it, but I digress. The following discussion couldn't have been more relevant if it was conducted yesterday. What with Raw almost soothsaying the modern political atmosphere, specifically that of the American presidency and its then election, and he of course addresses the undercurrent paranoia of the Illuminati back then that is so hip today. But that's not all. They touch on Ra's book, The Cosmic Trigger, the number 23 in the Cosmic Giggle, aliens, I mean, there's so much brilliant punch in this short discussion. It's truly revelatory for both strangers and fjord heads alike. A great introduction of Ra's contribution to the metaphysical pantheon. The cosmic trigger re-entered my consciousness during my turbulent 20s. I had started to reconstruct my personal foundational tenets after just completely obliterating them and torrid bouts with heavy psychic issues I was, well, struggling with. It's only then the wondrous and whimsical elements of my childhood were finally given proper assessment. I was finally ready to be mired in Ra's Discordianism his magical revelations and philosophical satire that make him such a revered figurehead of the metaphysical community, let alone somewhat of a major player in my childhood. Just last year, my father gave me his cherished, personalized, and signed edition of Cosmic Trigger. It was the very copy that was the crown jewel, the mantelpiece uh, throughout every home my father had since I was a kid. Receiving this heirloom was of such monumental honor that the only analogy I can compare it to would be that of a father ceremoniously gifting their athletic son a college ring or something. Or whatever traditional dads do. Anyway, stay to the end and I'll blab about more. Without further ado, please slither hither, weirdos and witches. Here's a rare interview between one of the most influential luminaries of the past century and a psychic paragon and patriarch. I'll let you figure out which which is which. Robert and Tom Wilson speaking with Tom Ross. <laughs> My guest today is Robert Anton Wilson, author, extraordinaire, and eclectic man. Um, Robert, you've written some 25 books in the last 20 years, so I'm not going to begin to list them. But can you go down a few of the your more popular ones? 
Well, the, the bestseller of them all so far is the Illuminatus Trilogy, which I co-authored with Robert Shea, and the Schrodinger's Cat Trilogy, and uh, right now Penguin is publishing my historical Illuminatus Chronicles, of which there are three novels out right now in paperback. Uh, the Earth Will Shake, The Widow's Son, and Nature's God. Right. And then I've written a lot of nonfiction books, too, such as Prometheus Rising and Quantum Psychology mm. and Cosmic Trigger, and I guess that's enough. I, right. uh, I could get carried away and mention all 25. <laughs> well, the, the, the writings that you've done that are specifically intriguing to me are obviously about the Illuminati. Um, for those viewers or listeners who are unfamiliar with that term, uh, what, what, can you define Illuminati for me? Yes, the Illuminati is a convenient metaphor for people who've never heard of Murphy's Law. <laughs> uh, for those, uh, uh, Murphy's Law is that if anything can go wrong, it will. Mm -hmm. uh, the corollary is Heinlein's Law. Things will go wrong even if they can't. Mm -hmm. Murphy was an optimist. Yeah. Uh, people who don't understand that need an explanation of why things always uh, go wrong. Yeah. And the Illuminati is one of the favorite explanations with the more esoteric uh, uh, yeah. metaphysical conspiracy theorists. Yeah. The uh, historical Illuminati was founded May 1st, 1776 by a former Jesuit. Uh, named Adam Weishaupt, which is sinister already because, as Victor Hugo pointed out, anybody who was educated by the Jesuits is untrustworthy even to himself. <laughs> uh, Weishaupt formed the Illuminati as a secret society within Freemasonry. Hmm. Which uh, itself is a secret Which society. itself is a secret society. A mystery within a mystery. Yes, and this technique has been copied quite a bit. There was the Molly Maguires in the last century, which was an Irish revolutionary group inside the ancient order of Hibernians, which was a secret society. So that was another secret society within a secret society. And, and in recent years in Italy, there's been one scandal after another about Pei Due. Pei Due is a secret society within the Grand Orient Lodge of Egyptian Freemasonry, mm. which is the biggest Masonic group in France and Italy. And within that, a fellow named Li Chiodelli formed another secret society called Pei Due, which turned out to be involved in laundering heroin money for Arab terrorists, cocaine money for South American terrorists, and arms deals and uh, processing the money through the Vatican Bank by way of Archbishop Marchenkus and Roberto Galvi, who ran the Banco Ambrosiano, which was closely affiliated with the Vatican Bank. Well, which leads a lot of people to think the Illuminati never went and never disappeared. It just kept changing its name. Yeah, it's definitely the pinnacle of conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah, there is no conspiracy theory as weird as the ones involving the Illuminati. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other meaning of Illuminati in occult literature, which is uh, ascended masters or perfectly enlightened beings or something like that. So we've got basically the Illuminati, there are basically four attitudes. They exist, they don't exist, uh, and if they do exist, they're the good guys or they're the bad guys. Yeah. And that's why I find the Illuminati such a fascinating metaphor, because I think the novel in the modern world has got to reflect uncertainty. That's why in my nonfiction I've written so much about quantum physics, which right. deals with uncertainty.
And the Illuminati is the perfect symbol of uncertainty because no two people who set out to study the Illuminati have ever come to the same conclusions. <laughs> right. Now, your very style of writing has been described as postmodern. Uh, yes, uh, I've been called postmodern and deconstructionist, yeah. and I didn't know about either of those movements until I had published most of my books. <laughs> then I looked back, and it's true, I am postmodern and deconstructionist. Right. There's also a strong streak of ethno-methodology in my books, which I didn't know <laughs> was ethno-methodology until somebody wrote me a fan letter right. telling me I was the leading uh, writer in the ethno-methodology tradition within science fiction. And I said, gee, you got to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, it's, uh, okay, so we've defined Illuminati as this secret society that is either in enlightened beings in some way helping us or unenlightened beings in some way controlling us. Um, so well, maybe they're unenlightened beings who think they're enlightened <laughs> beings. Yeah, four ways to think about it. You mentioned 1776. Um, we know that our forefathers, Thomas Jefferson and these guys, were uh, Masons themselves. And a lot of the symbology used in the dollar bill, for instance, um, has occult roots. Uh, tell us a little bit about our forefathers' connection with these. Yeah, well, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons, whether they were members of the Illuminati or not. Okay. Uh, that's, that's very uh, that's uh, that's an open question, but right. they were most of them were Freemasons. Jefferson uh, was accused of being a member of the Illuminati by one of the fanatic Federalists at the time, mm. when the Federalists and the Jeffersonian Republicans were first splitting. Uh, whether the two-party system was just beginning. Right. There were a lot of paranoid theories about Jefferson spread by the Federalists, and one of them was that he was the leader of the Illuminati in America, which is a, a theory I love because Jefferson is one of my heroes, and yeah. uh, to right. give him a sinister side yeah. makes history yeah. even more ambiguous. Yeah. Although I prefer the theory that George Washington was really Adam Weishaupt. <laughs> Uh, Weishaupt, after he disappeared from Bavaria, murdered Washington and took his place, according to this theory. And I, I like it. that one. Yeah, uh, you can look at the dollar bill. With, uh, which one is it? And then you turn it over and there's that spooky Illuminati pyramid. What does yeah. that mean? Does it mean that God is San Paco? Mm. Or does it mean that uh, only G only uh, uh, Masons and uh, and G G students of geometry can understand the world? Or? Yeah, amazing how we take these symbols for granted. We're just brought up with them, but the real esoteric roots of them are. Oh, only the only the most devout uh, anti-Semites have noticed there's a Star of David on the one dollar bill. Yeah. Nobody else notices it but them, but they're looking and they finally find it. And after they point it out, you'll see it too. Yeah. Just like the face on Mars, after somebody points it out, you'll see it too. Mm -hmm. Or the mm -hmm. sniper in the bushes on the grassy knoll. Yeah. Well, it's all, it all falls within uh, the quantum physics theory. Uh, what you're looking for tends to be there. Yeah, yeah or as. I know that's another topic. Here. A trans in transactional psychology, there's a saying, all perception is gamble. Mm. Uh, yeah. Everything I see is, uh, is, is uh, my brain's interpretation yeah. of bits of thousands, millions of bits of light impacting on my yeah. eyes and uh, bits of sound waves impacting on my ears and other things. And I construct this hologram and project it outward and call it reality. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all, it consists of tremendous amounts of gamble and guess. 
Yeah, great. Uh, there is an exercise you do before your lectures I read about in Cosmic Trigger, where you have the participants take mental note of the hall, hallway uh, after they've arrived in the room. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Uh, well, I have, I have everybody hall. describe the hall they came through. Mm -hmm. There are different uh, ways of doing this, but let's say we have them all write down what they remember and then we have them read it aloud. And uh, no two people are uh, described the same hall. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've been doing this for 30 years mm -hmm. and I've, I've never found uh, a class or a group uh, workshop where two people describe the hall exactly the same. People describe things that other people don't see. They add things that nobody else saw. Mm -hmm. and most people don't even notice that they're in the hall themselves, mm -hmm. which is what Gurdjieff calls self-forgetting. Sure. They don't even know they're there. They don't yeah. know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you pick out from the, the participants who remembers the most, the uh, champion of the uh, of the group, and you find that well, so the sum total of what everybody else remembers is always twice as high as the... Yeah. So if you had Sherlock Holmes in the class, presumably it would still work. The right. class as a whole would see twice as much as Holmes, mm. even though Holmes would see more than any individual in the class. So how does an exercise like that translate to the way we should be um, relating to one another? Well, the world uh, is made up of feuding and hostile groups, all of whom think they know reality and that everybody who belongs to another group is crazy. Mm. Uh, if you don't have my reality tunnel, you must be crazy or perverted or mm. a deliberate liar. And making people realize that we can never perceive the same reality, that every brain constructs a different reality tunnel. Mm. This can decrease the amount of hatred and intolerance in the world. Mm. Yeah. Now we, uh, it was a month ago or so where I first met you in person at the San Jose, up in San Jose, where you're involved with a panel with uh, Michael Talbot, author of The Holographic Universe, Fred Allen Wolf, uh, The Quantum Leap, uh, Marilyn Ferguson moderated, Peter Russell. Um, the, the gist of the, of the panel was the holographic theory. Um, and what I took from it was a lot of supporting evidence for our wildest dreams. Um, the message I brought back from the, the message of the panel and the whole weekend was that uh, we really are constructing this and, it, and we really can co-create what we want and not have to be passively sitting by in somebody else's perspective of reality. Well, we are doing it all the time, whether yeah. we're aware of it or not. Yeah. So it's always... a matter of getting in control of doing it positively or is there any judgment? I mean... Well, uh, you're creating your own reality tunnel. That doesn't mean you're creating reality. Uh, <laughs> out, out of reality, whatever that is, out of the infinite flux of energy, you're creating your own uh, reality tunnel. And uh, uh, most people aren't aware of it. Uh, sad people think the universe is sad. They don't realize they're creating a sad universe. Mm. Angry people think the universe is making them angry. They don't realize they're making an angry universe. Mm. And of course, paranoids are the most modest people of all. They construct really fantastically melodramatic universes better than the best spy novels. <laughs> and they take no credit for it at all. <laughs> they, they don't realize what great artists they are. Well, this, uh, I guess that's the difference between me and, you know, Salvador Dali said the only difference between me and a madman is that I'm not mad. <laughs> the only difference between me and a paranoid is that I take full credit for all the, <laughs> the weird pictures of the universe I create.
Well, this brings us back to the question of the Illuminati, be it a paranoid concept or, or be it reality. Um, I mean, the, the most paranoid person would be creating that possibility. Is that right uh, in, that, in that line of thinking? Or that well, yes. The, um, if the, I, I prefer to assume if the Illuminati exists, they're on my side. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm, I've defined myself into a, lunar, a loser script right, right. away. Right, right. Uh, who wants to be in a loser universe? Yeah. I prefer to be. So, if they exist, they're helping me. Yeah. <laughs> or they're certainly not minding you looking into it's the like, top. It's, of it's like the power elite. I've always defined the power elite as myself and my friends, mm -hmm. because anything else right away puts you in a one-down position and discourages you from doing your best. Right. right. So I assume I, I am part of the power elite, and then I look around and you say, well, why does Rockefeller have more money than me? Obviously, money is not the key to power. Mm -hmm. The key to power is wild, creative ideas, mm -hmm. bizarre ideas, new information. Mm. Wackiness. <laughs> God, uh, look at the Renaissance. Yeah. Uh, look at California today. Wherever you have a lot of uh, wild, crazy ideas, you have a tremendous acceleration of science, art, technology, mm. and wealth. Right. All, all increasing. Uh, mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about another thing I picked up from the cosmic trigger is the uh, cosmic giggle factor. This sort of uh, leap of fun in a way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, the Cosmic Giggle Factor is a group art project involving dozens of writers, not all of whom have publicly acknowledged that they're parts of this. But the Cosmic Giggle Factor is intended by planting enough clues and uh, scattered throughout movies, uh, TV, books, and so on, enough clues for people to realize something weird is going on and make mm. them wonder what it is. Mm. Well, there's a lot of... Uh a lot of power in that, and I guess the the point is to convince people that it's much stranger than you than you realize, and that in itself is liberating. Well, like Max Headroom uh, is on Channel 23, and there's a James Garner movie in which every time he gets enough money, he right away goes to bets it on 23 on the roulette wheel and always loses. Uh, you find a lot of other 23s scattered mm -hmm. around uh, here and there. Yeah. And Richard Condon's novel, Mile High, there's supposed to be 23 mafia families that run the United States, mm -hmm. where he got that from. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, uh, the more of these 23s you notice, the more you begin to tune in on the cosmic giggle factor. Hmm. Yeah, specifically that number. It's numerologically, it's a five. Um, there's a lot of correlations. Um, what, what, what would you, why would you think uh, five would be the root of, of that synchronicity? I mean, is there... Well, the Great Pyramid on our dollar bill, that has five sides if you mm -hmm. include the bottom. And, of course, the Pentagon is five-sided. Pentagon or the star. Uh, yeah, all members of the Pentagon are honorary members of a uh, cosmic giggle factor conspiracy. Oh, really? <laughs> honorary uh, members? They've been uh, yeah, we regard them as uh, the Order of Quixote. Mm. But, uh, we call them the Knights of the Five-Sided Castle. That's right. Now, weren't you actually there at the demonstration to try to uh, 
exorcise the demon of the pendulum? Yes, back in 1968, I was part of that uh, big uh, demonstration. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, since the statute of limitations has expired, I, I can say safely <laughs> and with some pride, I smoked pot on the steps of the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. Those were the good old days. Yeah. yeah. So the. Uh, was there ever anything after that, people feeling that they had done some exorcism? Or? Well, no, we were never able to form the full circle, so oh, the demon is still in there, as you can mm. see by American foreign policy. Right. Now, that they don't, now that they don't have a big enemy like Russia anymore, they're desperately hunting around for somebody to be the enemy, and they're trying to build up Saddam Hussein and mm. uh, Noriega. They've got to find an enemy somewhere because uh, they got all these weapons, and what are they going to do with them if they don't? Right. Use them to blow people up. This here Pragmagic Podcast is brought to you by Portland, Oregon's Open Source Art Religion and Pragmagic Art Collective, We the Hallowed. For more information, please visit wethehallowed.org or support these fine, pious individuals at patreon.com slash wethehallowed. Remember, that's hallowed like saintly. H-A-L-L-O-W-E-D. Thank you, and hold on. We were talking about that a little bit earlier as well. Um, as far as being in a warring consciousness as a, as a species for many years. Um, how do we get out of that? I mean, how, where do we gear our energies towards? Um, how do we get out of the need for an enemy factor. I think uh, well, eventually we're going to have to realize that uh, the enemy, uh, uh, what whole society together is shared anxieties. And instead of being anxious about the whole rest of the world, with none of which even, none of which is really scary anymore since mm -hmm. the Soviet Union has broken up, the only thing we can get anxious about is the ecological condition of the planet itself. Mm -hmm. So that's enough to hold us together. The whole planet can be united behind the idea of let's clean up this mess. Right, right. And probably a major block to that is because uh, to face some of those problems um, is going to require a lot of uh, businesses or politicians to uh, fess up to, to being part of that problem. Uh, yes, okay. and of course there's the, the, there's the inertia factor uh, uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, whose name, if you permutate all the letters, spells out a uh, huge berserk rebel warthog. Uh, he's, uh, he's very loath to admit there is an ecological problem, whether we need to spend any money on it or... Well, I, well actually, uh, I like Bush uh, as a fictional character. Uh, I feel I created him. The yeah. presidents in several of my novels have an uncanny resemblance to Bush. He's mean all the way through. You don't, you don't meet that kind of consistency much in the real world. You generally only find it in fiction. Right. And yet here he is. He's walking around. He seems real. And yet he's mean all the way through, like the villain in a Frank Capra movie, yeah. like <laughs> the banker in It's a Wonderful Life. You know, mean, yeah. deep down mean. I like people like that. They make great characters for books. 
I know, I know what I'm going to do in the next election. I'm going to vote for Frank Zappa. He's yeah. already announced that he's running, and he's got a great platform. He's going to abolish the income tax and, and the IRS. And uh, that, that, that is uh, the first uh, political idea I've heard in this country in 40 years or so that makes any sense to me. Uh, now that the KGB has been uh, practically taken apart vertebrae by vertebrae, the IRS is the last truly totalitarian organization in the world, spying on its own citizens, terrorizing them. Uh, it's time that fascist contraption was completely torn apart, so mm -hmm. I'm voting for Frank Zappa. <laughs> Besides, he looks like a president. Yeah. yeah or he yeah. looks like a president should look, anyway. <laughs> My idea of a president. So it's certainly going to be an interesting election year. I mean, there's going to be some major uh, doors blown. In the very yeah, well, period. we've also got Billy Jack running for president <laughs> and Bo Greitz, the most decorated hero of the Vietnam War, who's mm -hmm. running on an anti-Illuminati platform. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, what, what's his stand? I mean, what, where is he pointing fingers or... What's his platform? Well, he claims that there are people in uh, Washington who have been heavily involved in the cocaine business for a long time, and uh, that the Skull and Bones Society is a front for the Illuminati, mm. and a few other interesting ideas like that, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, deserve more publicity than they're getting. Yeah. Considering that he was the model for Rambo, he should be getting more. Oh, yeah. The fact that he doesn't get more press attention makes you wonder if there is an Illuminati <laughs> conspiracy after all. Yeah, it's crazy. It's uh, one of those elusive topics. Uh, seems so obvious that maybe it's not true. I don't know. I don't know. So we talked a little bit about what you what's what you think are the trends of the future to look towards, and you mentioned uh, longevity for one and space travel. Um, oh, yeah, I think we're going to have a lot more time and a lot more space in the future. That's the general direction of evolution anyway. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, eventually, we're going to have to get used to the idea that uh, the Cold War is over and uh, we got to reorient our society to something else. Since 1937, our whole society has been oriented to, to war. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, is, uh, this is a transformation like... It's as big as what's happening in the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. only it's a psychological transformation here at this stage. It'll turn into a political transformation. Mm -hmm. But how can America survive without a war? Mm. America has been oriented around war for longer than most Americans have been alive. Mm. Most Americans can't remember a time when this was not a war-making country. Mm -hmm. Henry Adams wrote that uh, in the in his book on the Jefferson administration, that in 1800, America was the most pacifist country in the history of the world. By 1945, that had changed completely, and we were the most warlike country in the history of the world. Mm. Now we're going to have to go back to being pacifist. We're running out of enemies. <laughs> unless, they can, unless they can really convince us that there are hostile aliens and UFOs right. about to attack in any minute. Mm. Well, you've written a lot about that topic as well. Extraterrestrials. I've done a few shows in this in this format on interdimensional influences. So where do you stand with that? I mean, I don't see any evidence of hostile aliens. Uh, I, I <laughs> you know, the report from Mayan Mountain is supposed to be a secret government report that was leaked, and others claim it's just a satire. Hmm. That has a page about if uh, 
if Russia were to collapse, what would we do? Mm -hmm. uh, how would we survive without an enemy? And the thing is, uh, we will clamp the, uh, the flying saucers, our, al our aliens who are about to attack us. Mm -hmm. um, now you are also a good, close personal friend with uh, Timothy Leary, and ha he's written the foreword for, for the book I'm reading of yours now. Um, he is interested in, he's into some interesting projects these days with uh, software accelerated learning interactive software which you mentioned is an exciting part about the technology of today um can you tell us a little bit about your your history your background with with this man well i'm uh i, I i've known tim since 1964 and I, I, this is a fascinating example of uh you know, the difference between image and reality the Timothy Leary I know is one of the most brilliant scientists I've ever met with a, a really clear crystal-like uh, uh, mind, that, a really fine analytical mind. I think he's done the best synthesis of all developmental psychology that anybody has done. He's taken all the work of Harry Stack Sullivan and Freud and Jung and Adler and everybody and put it all together into a system that synthesizes with what we know about the brain in the mm. 1990s that it's I think it's a brilliant scientific achievement mm. and uh, he's, he's very interested in what we can do with computers to to accelerate human learning because Leary the reason he got interested in LSD uh, well Leary has always felt that uh, we know what makes people stupid and unhappy is fixed ideas and what we need is a technology that will help people get over their fixed ideas without terrorizing them. Mm. And uh, since LSD research has been forbidden, Tim has been looking for other ways to help people liberate themselves from fixed emotions, fixed ideas, rigid reality tunnels, mechanical reactions, mm. mechanical perceptions. And he's got a lot of interesting software that he's been developing uh, to stimulate uh, brain change. Mm. Uh, the thing is that uh, the American government isn't as paranoid about electronics as it is about chemistry yeah. for some strange reason. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're coming up on the time, but I want to thank you very much for coming on. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and I'd like to do it again or invite you back anytime. I know you're moving up north soon, but uh, thanks again for coming on and educating me on some of these issues that intrigue me and the viewers and the listeners. Well, it was uh, fun being here. There you have it, folks. Two of the most influential people in my lifetime gabbing and dipping into the ratitudes. I probably recorded remarks or wrote drafts of the accompanying article of this episode uh, so many times out of sheer respect and admiration for the subjects involved that I continually psyched myself out from releasing this. Of course, the idea of nepotism itched in the back of my brain back when I discussed 
showcasing this interview. So I told myself I would get nine episodes, get a rhythm, and then share my personal history and, of course, the merits of my father. I realize now, after investigating and spelunking the memories of these years, how formative, how psychically influential those times were. You see, during this time, my father ran with a bunch of weirdos and witches, a lot of whom you might know. He used to be a part of this compound of sorts that was run by the Aquarian conspiracy writer Marilyn Ferguson. There's an interview with her he has I'll be sure to share at a later date. Anyways, on this compound, it has been said that when I was able to visit my father from the barren wasteland that was my latchkey life in Arizona, I had bounced on the likes of Timothy Leary's knee, or that Helen Huxley and I shared youthful pleasantries. That's Aldous Huxley's wife, by the way. I had not conformed my trajectory and utilized those memories and all of this psychical, spiritual, philosophical, cult passion that I have today until a few years back through my torrid 20s and self-harm and psychic hardship, I was able to discover and revere these characters on my own. And it gave me such major respect and admiration to my father and the community that he had situated around me during that time. So now I have the pleasure of uh, sharing these epic passions with the patriarch and I couldn't be more proud of him as a father, him as a thinker, him as an artist. And that's why this is part one of a two-part. I wanted to conclude with an interview with my father and that will be next episode. We're going to talk about everything from these elbow rubbings of a culture icons that he had to his own brilliant, varied, multi-medium and and we'll undoubtedly discuss his recent masterwork, a novel which he claims was written specifically for artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's my dad. Anyways, thank you so much for enjoying this unique experience with me, this experience of praise, of, of ad adoration, of admiration to the foundational and influential parts of my personal history. Episode 10, baby. It's only up from here. I've got some really exciting guests lined up for the oncoming episodes. Everyone from, from spooky rock and rollers to psychic cave dwellers and everything in between. This was Prag Magic. A multimedia grimoire conjured, conducted, and curated by me, Revel Keats Ross, and produced through the Portland, Oregon-based occult media collective, We The Hallowed. Please visit and subscribe to wethehallowed.org for more occult and rock and roll, original music, podcasts, writing, video, events, everything. Follow Prag Magic on Instagram and Twitter at handle at pragmagic underscore cast. And if you'd like to contribute material affirmations to this multimedia grimoire, the podcast, its original music, accompanying articles, and future videos, please become a patron 
at patreon.com slash we the hollowed and if not a like a subscribe and a review goes a long long way and much appreciated and as we say in the art collective we the hallowed a motto that means the only way to achieve true immortality is through art and ideas so i hope you create i hope you conjure i hope you become conduit and channeler for all the beauty and good you can possibly muster and i wish you to haunt on
who is original. Everything that we are doing, everything that we think exists already, and we are only intermediaries. What he's saying then, a writer is an interpreter, a map maker, a transcriber. And uh, he says a writer shouldn't think too much. I think he is thinking there of uh, conscious, uh, front brain, linear thinking. Um, that is this little uh, tip of our consciousness.